God cares deeply about our attitude. And the truth is that often our attitude could use some adjustment. Even in the best of circumstances, a good attitude does not come naturally. But we can replace complaining with thanksgiving, covetousness with contentment, criticism with love, and adjust our attitudes to honor Him. In this study, Lord, change my attitude based on the Israelites' life in the wilderness. We will learn how our attitudes can keep us in the wilderness or allow us to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. First, let me say thank you for allowing us um, to have these last 14 years with you. Anytime you're in a relationship with someone, it has its highs, it has its lows, it has its ups and downs, and, and you have allowed us to be who we are. You've loved us through our high points, you've walked beside us in our victories, and you have also been here with us as we have walked through our lowest moments. And so we are very grateful. Um, we very much are aware it's a two-way street that um, in anything that you do, we could be want to be here all day long and you could say, and we don't want you. And so you have allowed that and we truly do appreciate it. We thank you. When we moved here, our daughter was six and our son was three. And as Russell said, they are now both out in their churches today serving and uh, we're very grateful for that. And we're grateful for your influence in our lives and how we've been able to do life with you together, to, to grow up. Um, I came, I had dark hair. And if I left tomorrow, I'd have gray and no hair. So when you can't grow it on top, you try to get something on the bottom. You know how it is. So that's where it is. But we are grateful, and we do appreciate it. We're in the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, in chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, there is an account of God interacting with the children of Israel through Moses and some other key players in that process. But ultimately what we've been examining is that there were some attitudes that were developed inside the lives of the children of Israel that caused Moses or caused God to say to Moses in Numbers chapter 14 verses 26 through 29, he said, I tell you what, I have been to these people, I have helped these people, I've forgiven these people, I've endured these people. And he honestly, I think, got to the point, he said, they're not going to repent. And because they're not going to repent, the land that I told them that I would give them, the promised land, he said, that land, the generation that is aged 20 years and up, those people are not going to get to go into the promised land. And you say, well, what in the world? It wasn't an action. I mean, it would be easy if you could say, well, they did this or they did that or, or look how this was. But no, it was all an attitude. It was an attitude or attitudes that they developed. And God said, you can't go. And, and we've looked at three of them. We saw that there was complaining. Just an attitude of griping. Like yesterday when I-75 North was locked down and the express lane was going south. I'm complaining, Miss Rhonda. I'm going, why do we have an express lane? If it's going the wrong way. 
And I said, Lord, change my attitude. Yeah, but there was complaining. They were coveting. God said, I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to take you from bondage in Egypt to the promised land, to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you there. But along the way, I'm going to meet your needs. And they said, God, you're meeting our needs, but you're not meeting our needs the way you want. We want you to meet our needs, and so we're going to gripe about it. So not only did they complain, and not only did they covet, but then they became critical of God and Moses. And God, you remember, caused Miriam to have leprosy and she had to go outside the tent for seven days. And then they brought her back and and an entire group of people had to wait on her. Today, we're going to talk about the attitude of doubting. Now, what we've done is we've balanced that as we've looked at the attitude of, that was a complaining attitude or a critical attitude or a covetous attitude. And we have balanced that with a New Testament teaching that God said, Look, if you've got an attitude of covetousness, I want you to have an attitude of generosity. If you've got an attitude that's critical or complaining, I want you to have one that is a one of gratitude. But today we're looking at a doubting attitude. Now listen to me. Hebrews 11.6 says this. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. Say that with me. Impossible to please God. So what is the opposite? In other words, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Then the only way that I can please God is to have faith. A person of faith. I express faith. We said it was an attitude. What is an attitude? It's a pattern of thinking developed over a long period of time. We've said that the attitude that we're going to look at today is doubt. Doubt is an unsettled opinion about the certainty of something, the outcome of something. But doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is in the middle of it. God, can you really do it? God, will you really do it? God, can I actually jump out here and trust you even though everything around me seems this way God, I don't know. Let's say this. Doubt is an unsettled opinion about the certainty of something. Doubt is not unbelief. Unbelief is different and more dangerous. Doubt, taken directly to the Lord, because God's word and God's character, when we take it to the Lord, it will build our faith. Lord, here's my doubt. I'm bringing it to you. God, this is how I feel. And God, in the middle of my uncertainty, or the middle of my untrust, distrust, God, I'm going to step out on you, in you, in your word, in your character. And God, I want to please you. Because what we know without faith, it's impossible to please God. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. We're on the edge of the promised land. Moses sent out some spies, right? How many did he send? Twelve spies. He sent those spies into the land, the land that had been promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they were to go and give a report and they were to bring back fruit with them from the land. And they were supposed to come back and say... Hey, we can do this. God has said it. It's worth the fight. It's worth the battle. Let's go in there. But instead of doing that, instead of coming back and saying, we got this, ten came back and said, what? We don't have this. Two came back and said, we got it. They didn't let their 
fear or their uncertainty stopped them from claiming the promise that God had given to those people. Numbers 14 begins to talk about how they will walk into it. But basically they walked into the land, they went through it, and as they began to look around, they said, Whoa, the cities are too strong, and whoa, the people are too big, and whoa, I don't think we can overtake them. And they came back and they shared that report. And how did the people of Israel respond? It says that all of them began to cry and to wail. And actually they said, oh, that we would have just died in Egypt. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that many of us are sitting on the edge of the promised land. We're there. It is just a step away. And we're looking and saying, no, my addiction's too big. No, my sin is too big. No, my doubt is too big. No, my this. And no, I can and I can and I can. And God says to us that with me all things are possible. He said, I have come to give you life. I've come to give it to you more abundantly. And please do you hear me. That at any moment in time, that just because we believe in Christ does not we believe, mean that we are believing on Christ. And Satan will want to come and tell us all the time, did God really say? Is this really going to be better? And we fall and we trip and we stumble and then we wake up and we go, oh my goodness. That's where these children of Israel are. But I want to tell you, God has made promises to you. In Philippians 4.19, He says that I am all you need. It's a promise to provide. In Isaiah 54.17, He said, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's a promise of protection. In Psalm 84.11, He says, The Lord is a sun and a shield, and He will not withhold anything good. It's a promise of provision. God has made promises to you as His child. God has said, I am all you need. I will take you the good work that I began in you, the work of salvation. I will take it to completion where it is the work of glorification. And in between, I will meet your need. So what are some of the things that God does for us on this trail of doubt, this pattern of thinking that we've developed over a long period of time? The first thing that we see is that God places regular tests of faith in front of His children. God will place for us regular test of faith in front of, Samuel, in front of his children. Click. There we go. Bam. Thank you, sir. God places those in our lives. They're there for us. He had plan A. Take your Bibles. Go over one book with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 in verses 20 and 21. I want to show you plan A for the children of Israel and the promised land. He says, And I said to you, You have come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord, God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Do you see plan A? Plan A, children of Israel, you're on the edge of the promised land. I want you to walk in there. I want you to take it. God has given it to you. Don't be discouraged. Go and take it. Now, that's pretty cut and dried, wouldn't you say? 
This is not up for debate. Yes, there's going to be a battle, but you're going to win it. You're going to have this, but it's yours. Take it. But look in plan B. This is what they did. Go back to Numbers 13. And the Lord God, Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Plan A was because the children of Israel had developed an attitude of thinking over a long period of time. And one of those attitudes was doubt. They were sitting there. Can we do it? Can we do it? Can, is it possible? And God said, I tell you what, send the spies in. Let the spies look at it. Spies, you are supposed to come back and say, we got this. And instead, they're saying, I don't think God's going to provide. I don't think he'll do it. If we step out there in faith, we're all going to get squashed like a little bug. Plan A Go get it. Plan B is there. He says, I'm going to send in the chief. I'm going to send in the, she- the seals. I'm going to send in the A-team. Whatever you want to call it. The question for us is the same. Will we trust God or not? Will we claim the land that he's given us? You see, faith is a choice. Faith is an attitude. Faith is reading the word, getting into the word, and God saying that I will give you protection. I will give you provision. God saying I will meet your needs. And us saying, yes, Lord, we trust you. Doubt, a pattern of thinking developed over a long period of time. But you see, it's not just that God placed regular tests of faith in front of his children. How will we respond? There's one in my life every two weeks. It comes in the form of a pay to the order of. Right? Now, some of you, it may be once a month. Some of you, it may be once a week. But there is a test of faith in your life every two weeks or every time you're paid. Will I embrace God's principle of tithing where he says, if you will trust me in this, see if I will not pour open the windows of heaven. And you say, oh, pastor, that's an Old Testament command. Well, I want to tell you, in the Proverbs it says this, do not move the ancient stones. Obey all that I have commanded you. It's a principle. But it's a principle that was set up by God to his children to test their faith to see, will you step out and trust me in this? It's a test of faith. Every time that our children, we see them straying, will we drop or that we see them hurting, will we drop to our knees and cry out? It's a test of faith when we live our testimony when we live our lives in front of people it's a test of faith every time we have a conflict how are we going to handle it will we fall on our knees and cry out to God and say father give me the right response to this impulsivity is one of the things that I deal with a lot and I will just And it's out. And I'm like, ooh, shouldn't have said that. But God, will you 
change. But you see, it's not just a test of faith in front of his children. Faith is the number two. Faith is not just a part of the Christian life. It is the whole Christian life. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Jesus would often say to them, Oh, you of little faith, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move, and the mountain will move. Faith is the Christian life. God wants you to know how much faith you have. So he puts those little tests in front of us. Will I respond in faith? Will I draw back in doubt? God, I can't go there. Because I'll be overcome. God wants you to look into your heart and see how much faith you have. You know, you can look at a bucket of paint and you cannot tell how much paint is in that bucket. But I promise you this, if you walk up to it and kick it, you know if that bucket of paint is full or if that bucket of paint is almost empty. And God ever so often allows life to walk up and kick us to see are we full of faith or are we just about empty. God, fill the bucket God, give me the strength to trust you. Give me the wisdom to trust you. If you read in the, in, the, in the Proverbs, it's amazing to me how many times the word mouth, lips, tongue, words pops up. God, give me the ability to use those, this, this thing that you've given that communicates, God, for you to demonstrate faith, to show that there's a seeking of you. The circumstances of life will shrink you or stretch you. I want you to let's go back to that Numbers 13. Look at this. So Moses, in verse 3, So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, and all of them who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, these were the names of those people. And there's a lot of names there. There's a lot of names not even going to read all those names because I can't pronounce all of them so very well. So let's drop down to verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in that are strong or weak or few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first grape. They went up, they spied out the land in the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob and near the entrance to Hamath. And they went through the south and they came to Hebron. These people were wanting, God was wanting them to see how much faith. Yes, it looks big, but yes, our God has said we can and we will overcome. Go down to verse 17. I read some of that to you, but he said there, um, Then Moses said to them, Go and do this. Step out. Drop down to verse 31 for me. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Number three, doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the opportunities. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the opportunities. 
in your life today. And I would venture to say everybody in this room is facing an obstacle. Everybody in this room has a moment right now to express faith or to express doubt. I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but maybe in in the corner of your mind or on the corner of your paper, write it down. God, where is my moment that I can demonstrate trust in you? God, maybe it's a public thing. Maybe it's a private thing. But Lord, today in this thing, I want you to show me how to respond by faith. I want you to, to show me how to step into. They should have come back singing. Instead, they came back lamenting. Caleb spoke up. Caleb quieted the people. Joshua and them said, don't do it. So here we go. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the opportunities. What are the obstacles to faith in our life? First of all, an obstacle to faith is fear. I'm afraid. God, I don't know if I can do this. God, what will they say? I think anger can be an obstacle to faith. I can be angry over something and it can block me from trusting. It can cause me to say my way is better than God's way. Withdrawal can be an obstacle to faith. I'm not in it. I'm stepping off to the side. I'm I'm looking at what I'm not. I'm looking to insecurities. I'm taking my eyes off of of how big God is and I'm looking at the problem and the problem looks bigger than God. That's what happened to the life of the children of Israel. God had said, I've given it to you. I want you to have it. But yet they said, no, look, those people are tall. No, look, those cities are strong. Bitterness can be an obstacle to faith. The facts can be an obstacle to faith. Those people were big. Those cities were strong. And yet the children of Israel had the word of the Lord that said, We will give it to you. When we surround ourselves with doubters, doubting becomes easy. I want you to look at Numbers 14. So all the congregation. Now we're talking about over 2 million people. All the congregation. Influenced by ten people. So all the congregation lifted up their voices. And they cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained. There's the wilderness attitude. Against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if we had only died in this wilderness. Now remember a whole generation died. So dying in the wilderness didn't change anything. But only if we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's elect a leader and return to Egypt. Now listen to me. Egypt is real. In the life of the children of Israel. And Egypt is symbolic in the life of us today. God says I have all of this I want to give to you. 
What is it? He says, I want to give you a future. I want to give you a hope. I want to give you myself. I've given you my word. I've given you a promise. I've given you salvation. I've said I will not leave you nor forsake you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He says, this is all that I have done for you. But yet when we look over into the world, we go, whoa, that political system's too strong. Or, whoa, those people aren't going to bend. Or, you know, that's just all, that's the way it's always been. They're not going to change. Or I can't walk down my street because of this or that. And what God is saying is, I have given it to you. Where you are right now, I have called you to be salt. I've called you, called you to be light. I've called you to be a voice of reason. I have called you to live and to look and to act differently. Yes, people may act this way, but I've called you to stand up. I've called you to be a voice. I have done this. And he says, this is how I want you to go. And yet, we would say, oh, let me go to Egypt because if I go out there, I'm at risk. Let me tell you, the greatest risk in your life is not the danger in front of you. It's the absence of the fellowship of God in you. And I don't know if you've ever been in both places, and I can promise you I have. It is not a good place to be in relationship with God, but out of fellowship with God, because it will cause you physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. And God said, I've got a promised land for you. Now, that promised land is also symbolic. It's a real place for the children of Israel. But it is symbolic in the life of the New Testament people. God says, obey me in this. Trust me in this. Walk with me in this. And you see, for some of us, it's simple as bowing on to our, going down to our knees and saying, Jesus, be my Savior. For those who are born again, it's... It can be as simple as, God, take control of my life. Lord, you don't know how I've been hurt. Yes, he does. God, you don't know how my father treated me back there. Yes, he does. God, you don't know how many times I've failed. Yes, he does. God, you don't know the depth to which I've failed. Yes, he does. God, in my family, there are generations of not doing right. You don't understand. I can't change. Yes, he knows that. And yes, he says you can. He says, I will meet you where you are right now. And I will not send you into the promised land. But I will guide you. I will walk with you into the promised land. You say, is that really true? Yes. He says, yo, I won't leave you nor forsake you. I am the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Ladies and gentlemen, today you can trust Jesus to be your Savior. You can trust Jesus to be your provider. You can trust Jesus to be your protector. You can trust Him to be your deliverer. You can trust Him to be your companion when you're lonely. You can trust Him to be your peace when you're in turmoil. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. Twelve spies, supposed to be one unit. But because of doubt, they became two units. They became a unit of faith. 
that said, our God is able. And they became a unit of doubt and ultimately sin because they said, the problem is bigger than God. We're going to leave here today in the group of ten or the group of two. Where are we? Where are we? Are we going to respond and embrace? Or are we going to doubt and act like, it's not over there, I can't see it, so it's not really happening. Yes, it is. My prayer for you, as we step one day into year 15, is that we would put our eyes, hey Rihanna, how are you? It's good to see you today. I just realized that was you. It's cool. Hi. Um, are we going to say, God, bring it on? Because you are big enough. We're just available. We can't on our own. But you are big enough. And we trust you. And we will walk with you. As individuals and as a church. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at www.mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.